thank you, Sarah and Connie, um, for that uh, piece you did. How many of you uh, found yourself smiling a little bit? <laughs> Even if you really didn't want to smile, uh, you found yourself smiling, but thank you for that. Well, I want to begin this morning with a little story that I uh, saw a number of years ago. Uh, Fred and Helen have been married for 50 years. Every year they went to the county fair together. One year, a man at the fair was giving helicopter rides for $50. Uh, Fred had always wanted to ride in the helicopter, but Helen didn't think it was a good idea. And she said, because 50 bucks is 50 bucks. And so they didn't go for a helicopter ride. Well, the following year, the helicopter man was there again, and Fred again begged for a ride. And again, Helen turned it down saying, 50 bucks is 50 bucks. The third year, the exact same conversation happened, except this time the pilot who was overhearing all this said, you two have been arguing about a helicopter ride for three years now. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a ride for free with one condition. You can't make a sound while we're in the air. If you scream out or yell, you have to pay the 50 bucks. Deal? Fred and Helen both agreed and climbed aboard the helicopter. As soon as they left the ground, the pilot began performing all sorts of hair-raising maneuvers, loops, twirls, dives. Try as he might, he could not get the couple to yell out or make a sound. When they finally touched down, the pilot turned to Fred and said, Man, I can't believe it. That was an amazing show of self-control. You got yourself a free ride. And Fred said, well, I almost said something when Helen fell out, but 50 bucks is 50 bucks. <laughs> We're in a series now all summer long from the book of Proverbs called The Pursuit of Wisdom. And Proverbs, as you know, is all about God's wisdom for living life well, sort of God's principles for living the life that He wants for us. We've talked about all kinds of topics so far, wisdom in family, wisdom in work, wisdom in temptation, last week, wisdom in friendship. But what we talk about today, I think, is like the secret sauce, the secret ingredient, the key factor in actually applying wisdom to our lives. Today we look at wisdom and self-control. We're going to see that self-control is the link between wisdom and life, and that without self-control, all the wisdom in the world is relatively useless. We're going to look at one key verse uh, today, come back to it several times, then we'll jump to some other places in God's Word. But one key verse, which is in Proverbs 20. 528. You can look on the screens as I read. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. We're going to talk about three things today. The possibility of self-control, the problem of self-control, and then the power of self-control. First, the possibility of self-control. For 10 years, uh, we had a dog living in our home. I've told stories about her before, a chocolate Labrador retriever named Mocha. You have to think about that a little bit. She was a great family pet. Uh, labs are, as you know, may know, are very people-friendly. She was great with our young boys. Labs are also smart. They're very trainable, and they're almost always hungry, at least ours was. Even though we fed her twice a day, every day, Mocha all, always ate like she was starving to death. And she had absolutely no self-control when it came to food. If she could get to it, she would eat it. And when we weren't at home, or when she thought we weren't at home, sometimes I would be in my office, she thought I was gone, and I could watch her in the kitchen, she would prowl the countertops in our kitchen, sniffing along the countertop. 
And if she could smell something and she could reach it with a paw or on the table, if she could reach it, she would drag it off and whatever it was, she would eat it. A loaf of bread, whole thing. Plastic and everything. Uh, a birthday cake, half a cake, gone. She would eat anything she could get her paws on. But, and here's the interesting thing, we were also able to teach her, to train her to control that instinct to eat. We could put her food in her bowl after, you know, when she was a year or two old, we took time to teach her. We put food in her bowl, and if I would stand there and say, wait, she would sit in front of that bowl, staring at the food, and would not touch the food. Wait, wait. If I said okay, she would eat like she was starving to death. I could actually got to, where the, got to the place where I could put a piece of bacon, her favorite snack, a piece of bacon on the floor in front of her. She would sit in front of her. I would say, wait. She would sit looking at that bacon. <laughs> she would start to tremble. Sometimes dro drool coming out of her mouth, but she would not eat that bacon until I said, okay. Then she would snap it up. It was amazing. We would often show off her incredible self-control to family and friends when they came to visit. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Some of you have been wondering, now this... is a... I was hoping somebody would say that. This is a chocolate donut from uh, Graham's 318 in Geneva. Now, Graham's 318 is a coffee shop that I... Uh, meet people in quite often, our pastoral residents and so forth. It's a nice atmosphere. You get a good cup of coffee. You can have a nice conversation. And they have these donuts. And these donuts are incredible, okay? Uh, they don't rise quite to the level of spiritual temptation, but they do test my self-control. They're just so good. I've had this one since yesterday because <laughs> I was going to use it today. And it's just killing me that it's sitting right there. Okay. <laughs> <I'm a f> <laughs> I didn't say. That would kind of defeat the point of the sermon, I think. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. Well, thank you very much. Proverbs says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, to talk about self-control is to assume two things. First, that there's something in us that needs self-control. And second, that we have the capacity to exercise self-control. Now, what is self-control? Let me try to give you some information. The Hebrew phrase in this verse, translated as self-control, is literally to rule over one's own spirit to exercise dominion over one's own spirit. Now, just a little side note here. I think there's a subtle difference between self-control and self-discipline. The Bible talks about both, and both are important, but they're slightly different to me. Self-control is usually about refraining from doing something that we want to do. We want to keep ourselves from losing our temper, for example or from eating that extra donut. Self-discipline, on the other hand, tends to be about doing what we want to do that's good for us, like get more exercise, get to bed on time, read a book instead of watch TV. So self-control is about saying no. 
Self-discipline is about saying yes. But they're very much related to each other and sometimes interchangeable because they use the same internal muscle. Now, a few definitions. Self-control is the ability to control our thoughts, emotions, and actions. That's good. Self-control is the ability to delay short-term gratification in favor of long-term outcomes. A pastor named Craig Rochelle says it this way, self-control is the ability to choose what you want most over what you want now. To choose what you want most over what you want now. Way back in 1963, a researcher named Walter Mischel designed what is known as the marshmallow experiment. It's been repeated many times since. You may have seen it. You can look up videos online. In this study, researchers offer four-year-olds the choice between eating one marshmallow now or waiting 15 minutes and getting two marshmallows. And you can decide whether or not this is cruelty to children. I've watched videos of this, and you can look them up. Uh, They put the marshmallow in front of the the child, and they say, if you can wait 15 minutes, I'll bring you a second marshmallow, and then the researcher leaves the room, and they just videotape what happens next. And some of the kids will wait less, less than 10 seconds and just gobble that marshmallow right up. They're not waiting around. They want the marshmallow now. Some distract themselves by singing a song or looking around the room, trying to avoid looking at the marshmallow. Some pick up the marshmallow, hold it in their fingers, and then lick their fingers. <laughs> they smell the marshmallow. Some of them begin to lick the edges of the marshmallow. And some wait the entire 15 minutes and get a second marshmallow. The interesting thing about this experiment is they then track these children over many years, decades, into adulthood. And what they find is very interesting, that the children who are willing to delay gratification at age four, who were able to exercise some degree of self-control and waited for that second marshmallow, ended up having higher SAT scores, lower levels of substance abuse, lower likelihood of obesity, better responses to stress, better social skills, but, and generally better scores on a range of other life issues. In other words, a series of experiments demonstrated that the ability to delay gratification or use self-control was critical for success in life and a predictor of success in life. Self-control is to exchange what I want now for what I want most. Now, in the context of wisdom, self-control is the ability to choose the wise course of action over the foolish course of action. Self-control is therefore essential with issues like temptation that we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's essential in applying wisdom in all regions of our lives. Like a city whose walls are broken through, is a person who lacks self-control. Now, we don't have cities with walls anymore, at least not in the Western world. If you go to the Middle East or you go to um, other places, you can still see ancient cities with walls. Uh, But walls in biblical days were like the home security system for a whole city, a people group. Walls were essential for the safety and health and well-being of the people living inside that city. So a city whose walls are broken down was a disaster waiting to happen. It was wide open for enemies, to raiders, and to chaos. In the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, we see Nehemiah, who was a Jewish man living during the time of the Babylonian captivity, and he's risen to the position of cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, a pagan king of Babylon. He hears word coming to him from Jerusalem of what's happened to those remaining back in their home city. And this is what we read. 
Nehemiah chapter 1. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah prays, then he goes and gets permission from the pagan king to rebuild the walls and gates of Jerusalem. Then he rides around the city of Jerusalem by night, examining all the gates and all the places where the wall is broken down. And once he knows the condition of the wall, then he begins a great rebuilding project. Now, Proverbs is telling us that a person who lacks self-control is like a city without walls, defenseless against attack, easily conquered by an invading enemy. Now, if I were to ask you today to think about this in a personal way, to, take a, to take a, make a careful inspection of the walls of your life, of the walls of your spiritual life, and to look for places where those walls are weaker or cracked or crumbled, where you might be vulnerable to attack by the enemy, I think most of us would, would know where to look, would know where to begin to look. A couple, of years, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about wisdom and temptation, and one of the ways I like to remind myself to think about temptation is to ask myself the question, if I were Satan, how would I tempt me? And I start to get an idea because I know. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So if you do not have self-control, if I do not have self-control, we are not able to choose wisdom over foolishness. If we are not, we are not able to choose to recognize the lies, to say no to the lies of temptation... If our walls are broken down, we're defenseless against the enemy who seeks to devour. So self-control, the ability to rule over one's own spirit, is essential to exercising wisdom. But self-control is difficult. Just look at that donut still sitting right here, just waiting for me. That's why, secondly, we want to talk about the problem of self-control. The problem of self-control. Years ago, my dad... Uh, told me the story. We lived about 40 miles north of New York City at the time, and every now and then my dad had to go into the city, rarely, but every now and then he would go in for meetings. On one such occasion, he was in the city for meetings, came out of a meeting right about 5 p.m., right as rush hour was starting in the city of New York. And he's walking toward a train station to take a train back to uh, where we lived, and he came to a busy intersection. He happened to notice, uh, uh, the, well, actually, the, there was a whole line of cars, you know, people are honking and going everywhere. The light uh, turned red, so the whole line of cars stopped, and the walk sign came on, so he was with the whole group of people at the street corner, started walking across uh, the street. And he happened to notice there was a, an, an older gentleman uh, walking in front of him in a, in, a, in a sharp gray suit, old-fashioned fedora on his head, and he was walking with an umbrella like this as he walked across the intersection. But he also, my dad also noticed there was a brand new black, uh, shiny Mercedes-Benz right at the front of the, of the line, of the line of cars waiting for the light to turn green. But he said this car was just, just nudging forward ever so slightly, as if the guy was trying to get a jump on traffic. 
And as the older man passed right in front of the Mercedes, it nudged forward just a little bit and just touched him on the leg, the man with the umbrella. Not to hurt him, just barely touched him. But he said the, the old man stopped, looked, turned, looked straight through the windshield at the driver, picked up his umbrella, and went whap right on the, on, the, on the hood of this Mercedes, creasing it with a dent exactly the shape of an umbrella. And then turned and just walked calmly across the street. <laughs> the light turned green. The guy had no choice but to go. I love that story because it shows two kinds of self-control problems, right? It shows the problem with hurry or impatience on the part of the driver and anger, or you might say rage, on the part of the older man. Proverbs 16 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. And Proverbs 29 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. I think when we think about self-control, we often think of sort of extreme examples. We think of those who use alcohol or drugs to excess. Uh, we think of those who can't control their gambling or maybe their sexual desires. We think of those for whom these issues become sadly and sometimes tragically addictions. And we think to ourselves, if they just had more self-control, they would spare themselves all this pain. But we can sometimes easily overlook the little cracks and weaknesses in our own walls. If we're honest, we might say or see that we sometimes struggle with things in less dramatic ways, like our tongues, things we say. We're going to talk about wisdom and words next week. Or perhaps controlling our thoughts, or maybe our time, or maybe something like gossip. Definition of gossip is the art of confessing someone else's sins. Or emotions like anger. A few months ago, I was on my way home from visiting one of my boys in Indianapolis, and I'd just gone through a toll booth. You know, I'm minding my own business, listening to the radio, just driving. All of a sudden, a car comes from behind me, zooms past me on the side, and then pulls right in front of me. And the person driving the car immediately starts giving me a well-recognized, obscene hand gesture. It, I'm, I'm, I said, what? Is that for me? What did I do? I, I wasn't aware of doing anything. I wasn't tailgating, nothing. And it, so I waited. I, I, oh, this is kind of weird. I, I've heard about road rage and stuff, but I, so I just drove. And, and eventually, the, the car slowed down a bit, so I had no choice but to pass. And I really wasn't going to make eye contact, but I just glanced over, and it was like a 75-year-old woman. It was like somebody's grandma with road rage. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with the world, Right? I've since then read that there's an epidemic of road rage in America today. Research shows that up to 80% of us, up to 80% of us admit to experiencing road rage at one time or another in the past year. Again, self-control is the key to applying God's wisdom to our lives. Wisdom tells you that honking or gesturing to a driver who cuts you off is probably not a smart thing to do. Self-control allows you to control your frustration. Wisdom tells you that losing weight might be good for you. Self-control allows you to forego that second helping or that second donut. Wisdom tells you that saving money for retirement might be good. Self-control enables you to say no to buying something you don't really need. But why is it such a struggle? Why is it so difficult to exercise the muscle called self-control? The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 
chapter 7. This is Paul speaking. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is simply saying, and by the way, this is the Apostle Paul. If you ever struggle with self-control, it will encourage you that the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest followers of Jesus who ever lived, sometimes struggled as well. He's simply saying that self-control is difficult because we each have a fallen, sinful nature. We are bent toward, inclined toward sin. In our opening hymn today, Come Thou Fountain of Every Blessing, the last verse begins, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. It's also difficult to exercise self-control because we live in a culture that actively and relentlessly discourages self-control. We're bombarded with messages that say, you deserve it today. You deserve what you want. You deserve everything you want. If you want it, you should get it. If you have a desire, you should act on that desire. And we see this message everywhere, almost every TV advertisement. And most obviously, we might see it in the food portions offered in restaurants, right? Fast food restaurants now offer small, medium, large, and supersized servings. You've heard of a foot-long hot dog? Well, there's a place in Texas that serves a three-foot-long hot dog. Really? How about this piece of pizza? No wonder we struggle with self-control. And I could put a whole lot more images on there. I saw a hamburger that had like nine patties. Okay? So self-control is possible. We're created with the capacity to control our thoughts, our emotions, our behavior. But it's difficult. It's a problem. As one writer put it, self-control is the nearly impossible practice of learning to maintain control of the beast of our own sinful passions. And we need help. That leads us to the third thing today, the power of self-control. If the secret of wisdom is self-control, what is the secret of self-control? Where do we find the power to exercise self-control? If we go back to the story of Nehemiah just for a moment, after he received permission from the pagan king to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, after he rode around and saw in detail all the areas that needed to be shored up and repaired, He called the people who living in the city to join him in the great task of rebuilding the walls. And then he was questioned by some skeptical observers who mocked him. Who thought it was impossible to do what he was setting out to do. And what they said was, what what do you think you're trying to do? And Nehemiah responded by saying, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success 
will give us success. Nehemiah understood that the strength and the power to rebuild the broken walls of the city would come from the God of heaven. Now, three things we need to know about self-control. First, self-control is a gift from God. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the New Testament is teaching us that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is, when we come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts and begins to do the work called sanctification. It's a fancy theological word that just means the work of transforming our character, the work of spiritual maturity. That is, the Spirit begins to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. All of them, all the time. So self-control is not just a personality trait that some people have and some people don't. Self-control is a gift from God that's promised to us by the Holy Spirit. Back to our Labrador Retriever. Remember, she had no self-control when she was by herself. We'd eat anything and everything. But if we were there with her, she could exercise great self-control. The X factor was our presence. So think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is the presence that we need to control our desires, our emotions, and our behavior. It's a gift from God, the Spirit who dwells in us. Secondly, self-control is also obedience. It's also obedience. In 2 Peter we read, For this very reason, make every effort, make every effort, to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter, and by the way, Peter is someone who knew something about self-control and lack of self-control. He's saying that self-control is a gift, but it also requires great effort. It's not all willpower, but it is, does involve our willpower and our obedience. And finally, thirdly, self-control begins in the heart. We most often think of self-control as being about our behavior. You know, if I could just stop doing this or that, you know, fill in the blank. And it is. However, self-control begins not in our behavior, but in our hearts. That's why in Proverbs 4 we read, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So what does it mean to guard our hearts? When the Bible talks about the heart, it talks, it's talking about the center of who we are. The heart is the seat of emotions, desires, passions, and decisions. In short, Proverbs is saying that to guard your heart means to pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to desires. Pay attention to what you want most. Is it short-term gratification or is it long-term joy? Pay attention to what you want most. Is your heart controlled by what you want now 
or what the Spirit of God wants for you. As human beings, we are created in the image of God with the capacity for self-control. We've been given the gift of self-control by the Holy Spirit, but it's a problem, and it begins in the heart. But the good news is, the gospel tells us we have an X factor. We have the presence and the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit living in us. And where does the presence and power of Jesus dwell through the Holy Spirit? Where? Paul says in Ephesians 3, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. There it is. The secret to self-control is the power and presence of Jesus who dwells where all our passions dwell, who dwells where all our desires dwell, who dwells in the place where we are tempted the most, who dwells in our hearts. Now here's the application of wisdom for today. I would encourage you and myself to take a walk, take a nice slow walk around the perimeter of your life, around the walls of your heart. And ask Jesus through the Holy Spirit to walk with you. And take an honest look at your habits, at your desires, at your decisions, at your passions, and ask him to point out to you every place where those walls might be a bit weakened, a bit crumbly, a bit cracked, and ask for his power to rebuild those walls. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous man runs into it and is safe. In the ancient world, the tower was the strongest part of a wall around a city. The tower is what held all the wall together. So if you are struggling in some way today with temptation, with self-control, with some issue, it says, run to the one who is the strong tower. For in him you will find safety and strength. Will you bow with me as we close? Lord God, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit promised to us by faith who dwells in our hearts as a presence and as a power. Teach us to guard our hearts. Help us to examine the walls of our lives. Point out to us where we are vulnerable or where we are weak or broken. And strengthen us with your power that we may live lives marked by both wisdom and self-control. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We're going to close our service today with the remembrance of the Lord's Supper with this bread and cup. Uh, This table does not belong to Chapel Street Church. It belongs to the Lord. So if you're visiting with us or have been here only for a few weeks, if you put your faith in Jesus, then please share bread and cup with us. Uh, the ushers are going to pass out the trays. There are two cups stacked together in each slot. Take both of the cups. One has the bread, one has the cup juice. Hold them until everybody is received, and that will lead us through the remembrance of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what we celebrate now, what we remember now, <clears throat> that by your sacrifice for us, body and blood, even in places where we stumble and fall, even places where we, uh, we grieve your heart, even in places where we, that we are ashamed to admit, you meet us. Not only do you meet us there, your grace is great enough to wash and cleanse and make us again white as snow.
So meet us again by your spirit through bread and cup. In your name we pray. Amen. The New Testament tells us that on the night before he died, the Lord Jesus met with his disciples for what we call the Last Supper. Partway through that meal, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of him. After the bread, he also poured the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. The Apostle Paul reminds us as followers of Jesus, each time we drink from this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Do this in remembrance of him. Please receive the benediction. May we go now in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our strong tower, and may we find our strength in his great strength. Amen. Have a great day.